Hello and welcome to The Guarantee Podcast. The Guarantee Podcast is an initiative of Campus Gegenwart, the Centre for the Contemporary at the University of Music and the Performing Arts in Stuttgart. Each week, we collect ideas, thoughts and reflections on our current moment, looking at music, design and the performing and visual arts through an interdisciplinary lens. My name is Jennifer Walsh. I'm Professor of Experimental Performance and help direct Campus Gegenwart. This week, I talk to the philosopher Timothy Morton. Tim is the Rita Shea Guffey Chair in English at Rice University in Houston, Texas, and the author of many books, including Hyper Objects, Philosophy and Ecology After the End of the World, Realist Magic, Objects, Ontology, Causality, and most recently, Being Ecological. Tim has collaborated with many artists and musicians, including Oliver Eliasson, Laurie Anderson, and Bjork. And full disclosure, Tim and I collaborated on an opera called Time, Time, Time last year. I was very happy to be able to speak with Tim and hear their thoughts on the pandemic and how it intersects with climate change, Careware and John Lennon's Imagine. Hello, yeah, Tim. Sure. How are you doing today? I'm doing weird. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm really, really pleased that we could talk. So where are you right now? What place and time are you in? Um... Um, I could, oh, the temptation to be facetious, but no, I won't be. Um, I'm I'm in Houston, Texas, and it's about 2 p.m., and I'm, uh, and it's the middle of the summer, and it's really, really hot and humid here, and um, I'm also in a, in a biosphere, but aren't we all? So how have the last couple of months been for you? Lockdown, the experience oh of the world sort of changing as it has. You know, a few weeks ago, I heard a sound about 5 a.m. And, and I thought it was the rushing wind. I thought, God, there's a strong wind out there. And as I woke up, I, the disillusionment set in. And I realized it was the sound of traffic on I-59 near my house. And I hadn't heard that sound for weeks and weeks and weeks. I think we've been living through an extra verse of the, the song Imagine and Lennon, yeah? There's various reasons why that's, I think it's actually quite, quite true. And I'll try to explain. Um, imagine there's no progress. You know, imagine that this toxic idea that we just have to keep on churning and churning and churning. Imagine that. Let's not have carbon emissions, it's not so strong. Let's drop it by 17%, right, by accident, you know. Um, it's funny, this virus, because on one scale, it's terrifying. On another scale, it's like, thank you, virus. Greta Thunberg, you can take a holiday now, and you, and you can go back to school, and it doesn't even, it's not even happening, you know, kind of thing, because the virus is kind of t teaching a lot of people about planet awareness, probably the hard way, but also in another way, right? Like social distancing is actually intimacy because this mask is saying, I don't want to kill you, which is kind of like a basic ethical thing. You know, my one of my favorite philosophers, Levinas, is like, when an animal looks at you, when a human being looks at you, what the most, the primordial thing they're doing is like, please have mercy on me. 
please don't make me die, you know? And like that's in this mask, it's not a statement of your ego, it's, it's pointing to the other person. Guess who doesn't wear them? I was in the airport the other day, I was in a cafe, some people were wearing masks, they were all the black people and me, so like about six people were wearing masks, all the white people were not wearing masks. And I'm thinking, especially to white boys right now, you think it's a gag, don't you? You think that this is what you do to things. You know, you can treat them like that, if, but you wouldn't want to be treated like that. You're the subject, they're the object. You're the man, they're the woman. You're the white person, they're the black person. And this, for you, very tellingly and revealingly, is a fucking gag. So, really, this has been a huge thing for me. And, um, you know, the, the part of it where the president of this country and various other people were literally saying, you now have to go to your death to keep this machinery of capitalism working, right? Now you have to stuff yourself up the hot, hot, fiery COVID chimney furnace, like a chimney sweep, you know, and in the Victorian period, and literally, and also you have to chuck yourself in the global warming furnace, literally, right? In order to keep what, why? In order to keep what going, why, right? The entire world has just had a glimpse of what it might be like without something, and it's as if everyone went on like a three-day silent retreat and got that got that thing that could happen when you go on one. Plus, it's all about it's not just about the privilege of looking out of a window. It's about going to a supermarket and suddenly realizing, oh my God, I have loads of things in common with these workers in this supermarket. And I could be fired tomorrow too, because the economy just exploded. And I really care about these people, and they care about me because look at what we're wearing. We're wearing this care wear called a mask. And like, all of a sudden, these people are the heroes, you know, and the national health people and all that in Britain and all that, you know, and in New York City clapping every day, you know, all that stuff, like, pay, maybe, maybe, maybe we could pay them a bit more every day as well, right? But like, these are thoughts that occur to people as anyway, right? And like, this is, this is huge. The, Theodore Adorno, one of my favorite um, Marxist philosophers says, Progress means, genuinely progress would mean getting rid of the idea of progress, you know. And then Walter Benjamin, another one, says that socialism is not progress. Socialism is pulling the fucking emergency brake, right? Like, stop the world. I want to get off, right? Now, Neil Young famously said, I'd rather burn, burn out than fade away. And Lenin said, are you kidding? I'd so much rather fade away. And they're talking about two different kinds of dying. And if you'll just bear with me for a moment, the first kind of dying is what Freud calls the death drive. It's this churning, 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 burnout. I'd rather burn out the other sense of burnout, right? The other kind of dying is just becoming the same as your environment, aka fading away. All the chemicals in here get eaten by bears or whatever, or vultures, or I melt into the grass, I rot away into the forest, whatever, right? Being alive means being in between those two different types of dying, only our society is way over to the churning side. And so just a tiny little bit of being aware of the other kind of dying came back, right? Like if your body becomes a virus factory, you've blended with it, you're dead, right? To take the extreme scary example, okay, just sorry, I'm going to have a sip of water. So like when you hear the first line of that Imagine song, even before you hear it, there's, there's something quite deathly in a nice way about those very, very simple chords. It's cold, right? And the video is sort of cold and they're walking through this cold mist, right? And he goes, imagine there's no heaven. 
What does that imply? It means this might be it, folks. And what does that imply? It means you're going to die. It means you're going to be like, so without stating it, he's mentioned this other kind of dying of just stopping, right? And then you get to the front door of their mansion and, and, and you see a part of Yoko's fluxus. This is not here above the door. Utopia, right? Suddenly you're seeing like we're modeling future, like global warming prep 101. This is like, Seeing a utopian, I'm, I'm, forgive me for sounding perverse about it, I just do sound perverse about a lot of things because I think in ambiguous ways about things. This is a terrible thing. This is terrible. It's terrible what, what England and America in particular are doing about this virus to themselves. But there's this, been this glimpse of this other world, you know, like in the Welsh sense of Anwin, like this other dimension almost to that level. And it's a dimension. Imagine there's no people. Or rather, imagine there's no humans, right? Imagine kangaroos feeling safe to come into your town, right? Imagine like moo cows and sheep feeling safe to run through your town, you know? All that suddenly, it's like, what the, this is, this is it. This is the, I'm connected to the kangaroos. I'm connected to the workers. I'm connected to the whatever. I'm trying to not die and be killed. This is amazing. This is like, human beings finally becoming a bit more human. You know, what do you think of Western civilization, Mr. Gandhi? I think it would be a very good idea. What do you think of human beings, Tim? I think it would be great for us to be human. We aren't human yet. We're these weird, freaking, violent robot slaves of this adaptive AI called capitalism. It's, it's very interesting um, because I'm in London and you're in Houston, but London is your home and where you grew up. And one of the things that we've noticed um, over the last uh, over the last couple of weeks, because we don't have a garden, um, so looking out the window into the allotments behind us or into our our neighbor's garden uh, is very exciting. It's it's like going to the cinema, you know, because we're not allowed out so much. Um, but there has been a vixen with three fox cubs who's been coming through the garden regularly. And they're the healthiest fox cubs I've ever seen. They're not the regular uh, sort of London mangy, uh, you know, uh, sort of sort of flea bitten fox cubs. And I know that that's a theme that people keep returning to the idea that the animals are coming back into the city. But I know certainly in your work, the argument would be the animals, the animals were there all the time. They're there inside our bodies all the time. They're living in our mouths and in our guts. You know, we're inhabited and we're sort of interpenetrated by by these sort of feelings. And I sorry, by these beings. And I know certainly over the last couple of months, you know, I, I you know, in terms of the way that you've talked in your work about object-oriented ontology or sort of this idea of of interpenetration that this is this is just it's more of what you've it seems to me like it's more of your it's more of the way you've been talking about the world rather than a completely new version of the world this is the way you've seen it anyway. right on kind of like it's obvious now now everyone knows the hyper object feeling the feeling is more important than the word right like Words are just the receipt that comes out of the cash register. What it really is, is feelings. Feelings are from the future. You know, like when feelings are thoughts that you don't, that you haven't had yet. You know, they don't know what they are. You go to the therapist and you, know, you find words to them. Then you have this word hyperobject. But the most important thing is the feeling, which you've just described so beautifully. You say, oh, my God, there's this thing. And I'm inside it. And it's inside me. 
and it's everywhere. And like my mum was a social worker and she famously used to say, like, if you can see two, in, you know, a couple of instances of abuse or just one in a family, it's everywhere all the time because they're daring to show it to you. So they're doing it all the time. Two people died in Washington state before this became, you know, was labeled as a pandemic. From this, I deduced it's on every surface of the USA already. It's already here. And lo and behold, in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago, they were saying that very thing. It was already there by that point, you know. And this is the thing about hyper objects. You see little tiny bits of them precisely because they're so huge. They're everywhere. So they look tiny in, in a funny way. You feel little tiny effects of them. Um, and so that and then this feeling of um, kind of we we we. We're not the only ones, you know. We don't get to be anthropomorphizing the whole world with our weird, you know, I, I'm quoting Jaramani Hopkins here, where's man's smudge and something shares man's smell, right? We've generations of trod, of trod, of trod, right? True, and the moo cows just moo cow pomorphized a town, and the sheep just sheep pomorphized the village in Wales and blah, 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 and they were always doing it. And my cat is now cat pomorphizing this pillow that he suddenly decided to sit on. He's never done it before. So pillows aren't just for human beings. They're for cats as well, right? Like, this is so simple. And it's so sort of like, it's so nice. And it's sort of, it's like, it's only weird because we're not used to it. Because mostly of badly behaved white boys. Um, I like very much the expression that you used um, and it's it's quite interesting because of course we're talking by video chat and you've got you've got a microphone close to your face and each time you mime wearing a mask that the sound changes there's a sort of a physicality to the sound oh. that changes wow. but I like very much that you started calling masks care wear and and I know for me what helped very what helped me in the early part of the of the pandemic was listening to a speech that Leo Varadkar, who's the prime minister of Ireland, we call him the Taoiseach, gave, where he called on people very much to, to sort of exercise compassion towards others. And he said, you know, we're going into lockdown now, but you have to think when you're frustrated, when you want to go out, you know, and you know you shouldn't go out, you have to be thinking, I'm feeling this frustration because I'm making a choice to try and save somebody's life. And that you, you act as if you're already infected rather than as if, you know, you're trying to protect yourself from other people. And it occurs to me that language is so powerful at this time, because if we talk about masks as care wear, then why wouldn't you want to care? You know what I mean? Totally. And also, like, how simple is it now to realise? I love that Leo Varadkar speech, by the way. It's beautiful, yeah? And, like, going five metres out of your front door and getting in someone's face, right, measuring the steps towards them or not, but just literally walking is a form of measuring, right? And getting in their face is no longer being together with them. Being together with them is no longer about extensional, as we like to say, distance. It's about phenomenological closeness, right? I can be a mile away from the supermarket, but I'm right there with these people because I'm protecting them and me by, the, by being inside most of the time and wearing a mask. I'm with people on this planet, and the symptom, the signal that I'm with people is I'm on my own trying to wear a mask when I go outside, right? And that's the interesting thing. It's like suddenly 
we have planet awareness, and it's like awareness that there are beings that we should give a shit about who we may never see, and some of these beings that live in the future, and some of those beings are like future us, actually. And this language of like bend the curve or flatten the curve or whatever, it's kind of that. It's sort of like this is a whole new feeling, and it's a, it's a chance to like feel something before it becomes an idea or an ideology, right? To like get a taste of something. Like I was saying, the hyperobject feeling is why I came up with that word, right? There's got to be a word for this thing that I'm feeling. And like this feeling of imagine there's no, or less, you know, imagine there's no carbon. It isn't hard to do. There's like a few extra verses of imagine there. We feel, it's a feeling, you can feel it. You know, those stupid, crummy Hollywood actors were on onto something when they accidentally, stupidly did imagine at the beginning of all, of all of this, because it sort of is that, right? It's actually got this solemn, amazing, caring, like widescreen kind of truth feeling to it. And like, we're on our own, but we're not, we're not, we're so not, you know? And like, I don't know, it, it, it's it's just at the right time, unquote, because this is huge. We've got to get 7.5 billion people not using carbon within 10 years. Otherwise, it's going to be mass die-offs of animals. You know, this is bad. You know, we, we, we're going towards the bad one, you know. Meanwhile, on people are scurrying around in the past, looking for fragments of the past, like swastikas and stupid ideas about women to decorate their stupid thug, sort of politics it's called fascism right and so this is also like the virus the virus is also a little bit of the past right the virus is a little bit of dna it popped out of a cell cells can do that that's why the dna popped in in the first place and it became a single-celled organism so and a tweet is a virus right so there's somebody in charge of the usa right now i don't know whether you've noticed and he makes these and he wants them to go viral that's what he wants his tweets to do right and it's a Nazi fascist thing. Like the the, the the radio and the and the loudspeaker and the megaphone is why Nazism happened. Twitter is that at world scale. He can talk to millions and billions of people at once and say something really hateful and mean. And it's not the freedom of speech thing. It's the fact that Twitter is the megaphone thing. And thank you, Twitter, for getting on his case a little bit, right? Um, there's one th problem for him, though, which is that what he's up against is an actual virus. This actual virus doesn't need to be on Twitter to reproduce itself. This actual virus really could kill you. Trump could give you a heart attack, I suppose, or he could make you feel very, very, very angry or very fixated up, up. So he could make you cry out in pain. But his actual tweet isn't going to kill you. This tweet could kill you. And it's in the White House, right? And it's like, suddenly, this is the nemesis of the, not just of Trump, but of this fascist reaction to neoliberalism's last choking, like staggering off the cliff, like Wiley e. Coyote, which is also ignored the same as that, and, and part of ignoring planet death, which is what it's also doing, right? And so, you know, a lot of these reactions are just literally like, make America great again. It's just like, give us a feeling of normal churning that we can cope with. Like, We've heard the sound of a million Mickey Mouse brooms in our ears, ringing in our ears for decades and hundreds of years. We've got to keep that going because when it gets quiet, it's a bit shocking. Suddenly there's less brooms sweeping away and everyone's like, oh, wait, silence or quietness, I should say, John Cage, I'm talking to a musician, right? Like suddenly the possibility that there might be no churning, right? That suddenly, actually, you could not do this. You don't have to do this. You don't have to feed this beast, right? 
everyone's got a clue about that now emotionally without needing to understand or like words like ideology capitalism socialism or anything i think it's i think it's very interesting because you know talking about viruses like i i I read a quote near the beginning of the pandemic from a scientist who said it's amazing a molecule a molecule could have this much impact and you know and and i sort of think like and and in the sort of in the conspiracy theories about was it developed in a lab in china you know did 5g cause it i i always sort of think you know the story that it happened at all is is already bananas completely nuts like that there were it just happened to be uh, you know it just happened to be a sort of a an arrangement of rna and proteins that was already in an animal and it just happened to be very well adapted so that if it affected a human infected a human it could be quite successful immediately you know it didn't have to mutate a bunch I really... you know and and just the contingency that's as the chances of that are the same as a meteorite hitting you know and and it sort of it shows it shows us that we're we do not control this world that we live in capitalism may make us feel that way that we can control it and order it you know uh, or it may make make us feel that we have no control because we're being ordered you know by that system but ultimately we're just part of this natural fabric and we have no the best thing that we can possibly do is try to care for one another through this, whether that's just like you say, wearing a mask and staying at home, you know what I mean? Or whether it's being, I really do. Um, I, 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 it's like the past is everywhere. Just look around here. Right. Like my face is a map of everything that happened to my face. This room was built by somebody, right? These boots were made for walking. And yet that doesn't mean the future doesn't exist. You just can't see it. It's invisible like the virus. The past is everywhere. Ideology is everywhere. That doesn't mean that we're totally and utterly screwed in some prison, you know, and it certainly means that people like me shouldn't be saying all the time, proving how smart we are by saying how imprisoned we all are. That's like you're you're doing something for the other side there, actually. We are alienated from the future. Fascism says we're alienated from some mythical past of greatness that they want to get again or whatever. And actually, we're alienated from the future. Imagine there's no heaven. This is not here, Yoko's peace, right? It's the future bleeding into the present moment, if there is such a thing. And like, but but it always is. It always is. Like, we've talked about this before, right? But like, at, at a very quantum scale, everything is kind of shimmering without being pushed. And that literally means that new things can happen. New things can happen. It means that there is a future. It means that we can stop this. We can change stuff. It really does. It means that it's not this weird mystical thing in, in a way. Quantum theory is this very cuddly, nice, reassuring thing. That there is no such thing as a non-marked thing, right? Like the concept of man with a capital M, who's basically not even white. They're transparent, you know. And everybody else has a color, right? And everybody else has a gender, and it's sort of like. That, that that's not how the universe actually works, you know. And funnily enough, the fact that it doesn't work like that is why new stuff can happen, you know, and like how things aren't really mechanical, not really. Think about touching and not touching like we were doing about intimacy. Like literally touching is when, is a feeling of electronic resistance, like two magnets magnetically resisting each other because they're the same child. Like the resistance wells in my finger aren't 
like busting through the ones in the metal of the of the thing I've got the phone on right now. Therefore, it feels solid. The feeling of solid is the feeling of not touching, right? If I was to actually touch the table, my finger would go in the table. It would become the table. I wouldn't be touching the table either because I'd be the table, right? So funnily enough, the coronavirus is showing us don't you touch people this other way with this emotion quivering thing right we're t this is touching i need you to rewind about 30 seconds because i think the uh, the force field of the internet started to as you started to say oh, coronavirus is oh, that you you it all distorted yeah <coughs> sure um it's possibly because i wasn't wiggling the phone around and making it think i was using it so okay um um, what did I say about talking about touching the again. table, and then you were saying, oh, All right, touching and what you, you would become the table. Mm. I'll edit this bit out, don't worry. Mm. <laughs> uh, right. you were talking about touching no, yeah, sure. the table, you, you don't have to, though. It's great, like, like <laughs> some, 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 somehow hesitate. No, please keep it in, okay? I will, because, like, like really speaking is because of listening, right? And music is because of listening, and caring is because of being responsible in that basic basic ground state way basically you're capable of responding right attending to open right and so kind of faffing about and wondering what to say and wondering what to say next and all that stuff is part of this you know and like the hesitation i mean thinking actually i don't need to go out right now or i don't need to touch this person i'm actually touching them on the inside by wearing this care wear that's bad that's a better kind of touching like Quantum theoretically, you don't touch anything anyway, because the feeling of touching is the feeling of electronic resistance, like with two similarly pole magnets trying to push together. And the resistance wells in the metal of this, whatever this is, this tray that I'm touching, are not busting through the ones in my finger. Therefore, I'm feeling solidity. Solidity is a feeling of not touching, actually. And like, if, if they were to do that, if my finger was to actually touch the table, it would become the table. I'd also not be touching the table. This whole idea that interconnection means we must be sort of like physically messing with each other, you know, is, is that, that it's so obviously a patriarchy artifact um, that has to do with, I can do anything to anything. The world is my manipulable oyster, right? I can just squish it into any shape I want. It's not about it's open. It's like I can destroy this thing. I own it because I can destroy it. You know, there's an urban legend in Britain that at least when I was a kid, if you take more than five hits of acid, you are no longer allowed to testify in court because you are not considered to be a person. You're considered to be insane because you are no longer in possession of yourself. You know, it's, it's great that there's a number to it. And that just sort of says it all about who we think we are. I have, I have one question for you because I think it's quite interesting because I, I know often, especially students, when they sort of are studying philosophy or young artists who are studying, they feel that they need to know about philosophy or know about critical theory in order to participate in the art world. And one of the things that yeah. um, I, I, one of the things I think that I've always enjoyed about talking to you and about talking about your work, and I know certainly the musicians from the Time Project we did together feel similarly, is that you talk from a personal perspective and when you're talking about hyper objects as we did a few minutes ago you were talking in terms of a feeling not in terms of a concept which you know you then in a sort of a 
clever philosophy boy way, you know, plonked down on top of reality. But in terms of there was a feeling that you had and you thought, how do I describe this feeling? How do I communicate this to other people? And then you came up with the term hyper objects. And so I'm just curious. I know certainly now I feel like it's too soon to predict what things are going to be like. You know, I might have long, I might have short-term predictions in terms of when I think flights might be put on or when concerts may or may not start again. But I I certainly know there's a feeling that I can't quite put words on at the moment about what's happening. And there's been different qualities of that feeling since I would say March 4th, when I flew back from New York to to the UK. and, And I said to my mother, we need to get you into isolation and you know i i think something really bad is about to happen you know to my partner so i'm wondering what what are those like sort of amorphous feelings those sort of like little embryonic hatching feelings that you have at the moment sure um well one of the good things about this feeling assuming that feelings are not just symptoms of the past but they're actually weirdly from the future is that now we know what it might feel like to live in a more carbon-free world now we know what it might feel like. You know, Black Lives Matter is doing this to us as well, and Me Too is also doing this to us. As I've said over and over again, the struggle against racism and misogyny is part of achieving planet awareness, actually, right? And lo and behold, this transnational planet-scale uprising is, 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 is happening right now, you know? Um, and people are bravely ignoring the uh, virus, in all kinds of ways. Um, but in a funny way, the virus also is, I think, is is giving us a feeling um, that we can hold on to. And then when we start doing politics that don't suck to other life forms, if we start to have that feeling, it can be like a litmus test of we're on the right track. We know what we're doing is correct because we're having that coronavirus feeling. And to me, the, my first take on it was was um this is going to be and i'm going to say a sort of lsd word again um this is a psychedelic thing it's actually so intense and strange it's going to it is mind alteringly different basically and it's going to reveal something about my soul like that's what the word means it's going to show me something in my soul i can feel it you know and like the, the idea that there might be something to reveal is the bedrock idea for me. It's the, it's, it's, if, if, if there's a word for it, it's like future feel, like mouth feel or whatever, but it's the feel of future, not as something I can predict, but as actually, as John Cage also says, you know, anything can happen. The world is, what, what does he say? The world is something, anything can happen. It's that feeling, something there's something in the air, literally, there's something in the air, something could happen, right? The possibility that things could be different is, and and of course, they might be different really bad, right? Or they might be different really good, or they might be different a little bit the same. But just the fact that we could imagine something at all, you know, that's the trouble with global warming, it beats you down to this awful level where you're just kind of really, really, really depressed. And Michael Caine's telling you, you have to leave the planet in a spaceship. And like, there's nothing you can do. And what he's really saying is, you know, fuck this, let's go to the cinema. 
in the sky, there's like a spherical cinema that we can go into and we can watch a movie. And it doesn't even matter what movie it is. And it's going to look to the people on Earth like we're escaping into escapist fantasies. But actually what we're doing is we're restarting our ability to have a future because we're restarting our ability to visualize, right? Like some poems and stories and paintings, whatever, they push images at you, right? And you submit, right? Uh, lots of tweets are like that, right? Some poems and music and art pulls you and allows you to visualize or audialize. I say sensualize now because I don't like this ocular centric stuff, you know, because the word idea comes from a word meaning something to be seen. Therefore, it's like this nasty objectified lump of it's all wrong. Right. So and that's another part of it. Right. Like people's philosophy boys are all about I see and I see clearer than you do. Therefore, I'm cleverer. But seeing is really touching and actually um, not just scientifically and like somehow feeling not just in terms of emotion feeling but literally feels the feels the feet the feel you know there's a sort of there's a future feel right in your body things are happening you're not in charge of them right and it's like that's a kind of rhythm that isn't about measuring something yet it's a kind of quivering like I found out the word rhythm comes from the Greek word thumos, meaning life, right? It's when people say thumos, they point to something in their chest. And often it means heart or whatever. But it's not just that. It's the pulsating life, right? Um, and the rare, and the rare bit is coming from the word to flow, right? Diarrhea, right? So rhythm literally means the autonomous pulsation of body fluids before they get dominated by some other measuring device that does some other thing to them and, like, colonizes them and puts them in a little box or whatever. What rhythm really is, is the, just the quivering quality of being alive. And that's why things can happen. And that's the sort of the future. That's the feeling, this kind of quivery feeling, this uncertainty feeling like, is this real? And like, oh, it, it sucks, but it doesn't, but it does, but it doesn't. And it's undoing all of my concepts about what this is and blah, blah, blah. And I, I was like taking the mick out of it when it first started. And then all of a sudden I'm being very serious and then it's very solemn. And then it's really weirdly utopianly wonderful, and it's terrifying because I have asthma, I have, I have sleep apnea, I already have the device. They plug people into in hospitals. I'm already not breathing, right? Then there's this black guy who can't breathe, and blah blah blah. And then there's the his funeral, and the pastor is talking about Genesis two and how sacred the breath is, right? And again, this notion of breath or prana, um, it's kind of this again, it's it's motion. Right, it's motion without pushing. It's just this kind of, it's where I feel the time opera landed in this kind of weird, to me it was a sound, like a kind of And I don't know what was making that sound, but it was a sound of like time breathing. That feeling of time itself, kind of just this quivering liquid, you know? It's, it's sort of amazing and weird and scary and peculiar. And so, so, so that's what it is for me, it's future feel. I think definitely that that feeling, the future feel, that's been very striking to me over the last three months. And I'm I'm also very struck by the fact that I remember reading reading an interview with a scientist who was talking about epigenetic change and he was talking about the fact that like if if you decide to affect change in your life, whether that's negative or positive, um it takes your body about three months to adjust. And at that point, epigenetically that change has been affected on a genetic level. And so I I've I've thought of that a lot because we're coming up to this three month mark. You know, and 
the part of me that was fine I found lockdown because we were in lockdown in London for a very long time where we could only go out once a day and I found it very difficult whereas now I could handle it you, you know much better that there's part of me that's adjusted and like I was saying I was saying to my friends here I think that for the rest of my life whenever I'm in a supermarket and I see strong bread flour is available I'll want to try and buy some because we could not get strong bread flour for two and a half months it sold out and it just didn't come back and every time I was in the supermarket I looked to see if I could get a bag of strong bread flour and there was none until a couple of weeks ago and so I was thinking that's still going to be a habit I can tell that that's going to be a habit that's going to be in my brain for the rest of my life. Like something has shifted in me. And I know that that's just a small, tiny thing of, you know, flour in the supermarket. But I think we're now at the point where we are changed by this. Like we are not the same people we were three months ago. There's been this epigenetic, this epigenetic change, uh, you know. Absolutely. It's, a t it's not a tiny thing, though, Jen. It's not a tiny thing. Um, just like boringly. It's been made very clear to everyone on this earth that eating meat is really wrong and really, really dangerous to everything. And this is where the virus comes from in some, to some extent. And the, you know, all the meatpacking industry almost shutting down and Trump having to say that it's an essential industry in order to keep it going in a kind of wartime Korean War proclamation thing. Unbelievable. Like, this is a huge ad for being a vegan you know and um i've been cooking i haven't cooked for ages and i have actually you know because i've been upset and because i've been away and because i've been really busy and so a lot of the time i've been eating out and all of a sudden i'm like oh my god i gotta cook and there's not in the right food in the supermarket you know so i'm going to get these other things so same you know I've never cooked barley before. There was no rice one week, month. So I got this sort of packet of barley instead. I love barley. You know, I never would have made myself do that, right? And it, do, do, do you know what it's like? It's like the track on the LP, not the CD or the freaking MP3. We have to, I'm so sorry to do vinyl talk, but it's that track on the LP that you have to get through to get to the one that you think you like, because it's sort of like, it's too, you're too stoned or tired or whatever to get up and you don't want to damage the record and it's, you just got to get through it, you know, and gradually, gradually it grows on you. And then you think, you know, this thing that I actually didn't kind of like, this is actually the, the awesome one. You know, this is the one that I really kind of like actually. And it's not that you, it's not that it's good. I'm not trying to make shit into chocolate mousse. Coronavirus is a horrible thing. The reason why it's horrible is neoliberalism, patriarchy and racism. Everything in our world is, colored by that so why wouldn't this be i don't like those headlines that are like shock horror poor people who aren't white affected worse it's like what were you expecting everything affects them worse you know like what, what is this the, the, this virus is from god you know it isn't it's just showing us how alienated we are from being human that's all it's doing and it's just sort of like um it's the track on the record. Some people want to put the needle on the other, on the bit, but they're going to break the stylus if they do it. You know, it's called Boris Johnson and Trump. They're going to pick that needle up and go <laughs> onto the next track, thus breaking the record player, which would be good actually, because the record player is called neoliberalism and it should break. But they, they, they don't know unwittingly they're going to break it because they're sending people to their death. 
So I've one final question for you. Um, uh, now that we've broken the record player of neoliberalism, and I don't know how we're going to play the records anymore. Um, but I've one question, which is, we've talked about this idea of future feel. We've talked about this idea of that things are changing, that it gives us a glimpse of something. So what would be your hope? You know, what would be your hope of, of how things would change? I know, I, I know like a lot of people I've talked to who have, you know, who are privileged enough to have jobs at universities, for example, they all feel completely shattered by working from home, but they're also relieved not to be traveling as much as they would normally have to travel in order to get tenure, you know, and so there's this absolute relief I've heard from so many people at at not being on a plane all the time. Um, and then I've also, you know, other people saying it, it, having to cope with small children at home is really overwhelming and really difficult, and particularly women often taking up much more of the slack you know than their 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 partners so um i know for everybody there's different hopes in different ways but what would your hope be either for humanity and as a whole or for you tim yeah i i would like to say at this point actually that the increase in violence sexual violence and violence violence towards children and women in this moment is an obviously a really bad part of this of this moment right it's not this i'm not trying to be all happy happy joy joy about it and i hate zoom the only way to cope with Zoom is to pretend that it's the it's the opening of the Muppet Show. All those different Muppets and their little like archway things, all kind of waving, right? But there is a good thing about the Zoom, which is that, as you say, it stops you from flying around. Plus, also the chat function. Everyone's super inhibited in in classrooms, especially at Rice and in, also in, in in like UK universities. I've noticed, and like, but they're disinhibited when they type a, a comment. And I'm teaching a summer class right now called How to Read a Text. Um, the real title is How to Withstand Ideology and Propaganda. And the real, real title is Advanced Psychic Combat Training. And I'm teaching this class and mostly everyone's commenting. And it, there's a feeling to the class. There's a feeling, right? It's, it's like Raymond Williams calls it structure of feeling. And I think structure of feeling is like feeling feeling. Yeah, structure of feeling is could calcify into ideology. It's on a spectrum with it, right? But it isn't yet, and it might suck. But there's a kind of there's a way of feeling something that isn't just personal. It's kind of transpersonal. So your question is very awesome because it's talking about my own feelings and also the the big picture. And in a way, my own feelings is a symptom of the big picture, right? And like again, it's a I, my hope would be that um, we inhabit, like you're saying in, in, in your way about epigenesis, we start inhabiting the, the feel, this future feel, right? Like, why do we need this stupid junk from the past? Why do we need this statue, actually? Why do we need this carbon thing, actually? Why do we need these Mickey Mouse brooms of the, this kind of economics churning, churning, churning? Bruno Latour's got this nice idea, which is like, go on his website and suggest a thing to like get rid of now that we've modeled letting go of some things, right? Like imagine there's no meat at all. Imagine there's no carbon. Imagine there's no, right? And it's like, it isn't hard to do because we're actually doing it right now, you know? And it's got this kind of amazing combination of 
of scary and funny and like oppressive and boring and angry making and weirdly joyful and solemn and futuristic and like all these different things together right and i think if i was to hope for something it would be that this feel and feeling continue somehow and that we learn to live in it and that we get of the hang of it in a way the hang of that as opposed to living in the past in these sort of stupid like pre-formatted ideas that don't work anymore and also like whatever's coming down the pipe next right we're not there yet we're, the, we're in this fantastic in, interlude space and as we all know well we don't know this but i was teaching plays earlier and it suddenly occurred to me that the interlude between the scenes is also the play and actually the scene is in a way a break from what's really going on which is this kind of audience participation chorus dance thing where the everyone's raving kind of thing and that's where you get the music and the adverts on the telly but actually that's the actual thing that's your look of course like you're watching these capitalist ads on the telly that's where the show's got the, the show you know and like so somehow this is the interlude but everything's an interlude right this is the quiet bit but everything is the quiet bit this is we're talking now but we're actually listening you know and it's sort of like we're getting this message loud and clear like we could never have gotten in 200 years of this churning stuff and it's like wow like can we possibly hold on to it and like this is why i think this podcast ultimately is incredibly valuable because this is not just a document of what happened this is a kind of modeling of a new way of feeling things and being in things right and and like people can use this in the future as a model and also as a kind of litmus test like are what tim and jenna waffling on about with their stupid images of acid and, and stuff anything like how i'm feeling right now and if it is then i'm society's on the right track future people i'm telling you because everything inside me and jen is great well tim i can't think of a more positive way to end <laughs> and, um, so to the people of the future if you are listening i i don't know i'm irish enough to say that i don't know if everything inside us is great but i know that everything inside you guys is great and i hope that the future feel that we've been feeling will help uh will help boost us through to that to that point Tim, thank you very, very much uh, for talking. It's been fascinating, as always, to listen to you talk about your ideas and, and, and speak and speak about them at this time where it feels so important to actually have these conversations. So thank you very much for taking the time out of your it's day. It's a pleasure and thinking is a team sport, so I can't do this without you. Thanks very much. That's all from the Guarantee podcast for this week. Thanks very much to Tim Morton for speaking with me. If you'd like to find out more about Tim or the activities of Campus Gegenwart, please check out our website at www.campusgegenwart.de. Until next week, stay safe and thanks for listening.